You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at The Athletic Wisconsin. Joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of BrewHoop.com, Frank Madden. Frank, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. We we are, it's Wednesday. We are T-minus seven days to opening night of the Milwaukee Bucks 18-19 season, Eric. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. It's it's insane, honestly. Like I, it's it's crazy to think that you know that's that's where we are. We are we are at. Uh, I don't I don't even honestly know how we got to this point. It's just kind of crazy that that we are now here because it, this season just kind of sneaks up on you. It, it it shouldn't ever do that, but somehow every single every single year it does. And if it snuck up on you, make sure that you grab some seats from vivid seats. Use the promo code locked on to receive $20 off your orders of $200 or more as a new customer of vivid seats. You can go to the app store or Google play and download the vivid seats app to make it nice and easy. Again, $20 off in order of $200 or more as a new customer of vivid seats. If you use the promo code locked on and as we are getting here, I mean, I think every single day there's more stories about how different things are and how things are changing. And the big thing that we want to talk about was Malcolm Brogdon in the starting lineup. We talked about that a little bit last night, but we kind of wanted to talk about the mechanics of starting and kind of how all of this could work or will work or trying to figure all that out. But before that, just kind of two pieces of news. And obviously one of the big changes with the Bucks this year is, hey, they shoot threes. And everybody shoots threes, and uh, that in, that includes Yasta Kumbo and uh, Matt Velasquez. Reporting from uh, the road, had got a chance to talk to Giannis about this a little bit, and Giannis mentioned the fact that you know Jason Kidd had told him to stop shooting from the outside. Uh, the exact quote here was, "I think it was my second year. He told me not to shoot the ball." Then in my third year, at the end of the year, he told me to shoot the ball a little bit. In my fourth year, he let me shoot the ball. And in my fifth year, he told me, you have the green light, do whatever you want. But I wasn't comfortable enough. It's hard when you're not shooting the bar. When you're not shooting the ball, it's hard to get back to shooting. Uh, And I mean, I think this is, we've all kind of, we had heard and talked about in the past, like the the red light, the green light, like who has it to shoot? Like we heard all of those things mentioned, especially uh, from Jabari Parker, but Giannis is kind of, you know, I think remained pretty mum on the subject for most of the time. And I guess hearing that, were you surprised? Uh, were you angry? Were you, uh, I guess, what, what was your initial reaction to it, Frank? Um, I mean, a little surprised just in the sense that Giannis isn't the kind of guy to speak poorly of anyone. Um, and you know, we know that he had some loyalty to Jason Kidd, obviously just sort of like how Giannis is. Um, so maybe a little surprised that it was like, kind of like was pretty direct in talking about, you know, 
I mean, you don't have to read between the lines too much to like see that that Giannis is saying that this hurt his shooting. Um, but, you know, I think it certainly makes sense, right? I mean, this was something that certainly a lot of us kind of were annoyed with, especially in that, that second year, which I think we all remember very vividly. I remember, I can remember Giannis, you know, taking a three early in a game, getting pulled, um, like seemingly for doing it, which is just, you know, and we've talked about it, right? I mean, you think about like some of the great head coaches, like Mike D'Antoni being like the most, the kind of most obvious one, like, can, can you think of anything like more antithetical to Mike D'Antoni's philosophy on offense than pulling a guy for, you know, being confident enough to shoot a three pointer? I mean, and, and not just, not just a guy, like literally your like young star who, I mean, Giannis shot 35% from three as a rookie. It's not like this is like, you know, it's one thing if John Henson starts, you know, jacking up threes and you say, well, John, maybe you don't do that. Right. Um, you know, I, I'm, pleasantly surprised that Mike Budenholzer um, believes that uh, that this is, you know, something that John Henson can do. Hey, whatever, we'll see how it goes. Um, but, you know, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility or out of the realm of reason to tell, you know, a center like John Henson not to do it. But Giannis is what was and is not like that. Uh, and obviously, if you're going to be a star caliber player, um, then, then you know, you need to have some ability to do this or, or at least have the green light to do it. So, uh, so yeah, it's interesting and just sort of reiterates kind of, you know, what I think certainly, um, you know, many, many of us kind of always felt was a negative in, in terms of Giannis's development um, that, you know, um, we, you know, it, it, for, for all the kind of credit that kid just sort of got by being around when Giannis became a great player, um, this was always kind of like the most obvious thing that we know they did, which clearly probably harmed him. Um, in addition to like, you know, there were like kind of a couple of summers where they tweaked his shooting mechanics and obviously that didn't really pay off any di- with any dividends. So um, yeah, a little interesting just because it was so like direct and seemingly honest. Um, but uh, you know, again, Jason Kidd is gone and you know, Good riddance. Yeah, uh, to me, that was the thing that surprised me most is that a lot of the time with Giannis, like there, there's um, an amount of reading in between the lines that you're gonna have to do. Like that's just kind of how he is about these things. That you know, you got to figure out exactly was he saying the thing that I think he was saying, and that was that was a pretty direct quote and a pretty direct. Uh, a pretty direct explanation of kind of everything that had happened. And, um, you know, that just isn't something that Giannis typically does. So yeah, I thought it was surprising. And I mean, as you, you think through the modern NBA, um, there weren't many coaches that were saying, Nope, don't shoot threes. It's a bad idea. And there weren't many coaches telling that to the best player on their team. That that was always something that you were looking to add uh, to your best guys. So it it was just kind of moving in the exact opposite direction of of what you would want. So um, not, not overly, uh, not overly positive news, I think to, to read and hear, but uh, news nonetheless. And like you said, like, yeah, I think you just have to hope that, too much damage hasn't been done and that Giannis can, you know, find that confidence and figure it out. And it might not be this year. I know Mike Boonholzer mentioned that, you know, we're not going to snap our fingers and he's going to be Ray Allen. Like that's not going to happen, but you know, can he regain that confidence and rebuild it and, and find a way to have success. So um, I think that'll be really interesting to watch something else. That's interesting to watch. You found a, 
contract note somewhere because because uh, you're Frank. What I do? Um, like <laughs> that's just you. <laughs> um, so tell me about it. Yeah, you know, um, I, so probably my favorite um, resource for uh, cont- contractual stuff is um, uh, Basketball Insiders. They have really good team pages where they show all the like guarantee dates and guarantee amounts, things like that. And I, I, you know, I have it bookmarked, of course, being the nerd that I am. And I was just looking at the Bucks page and noticed that they had Christian Wood as actually having a two-year contract rather than a one-year contract. And, you know, I think when he signed, we heard that he had a $100,000 guarantee this year, which was, you know, I think another thing, maybe I haven't talked about that much, but certainly speaks to the fact that, you know, they were willing to give him some guaranteed money, which they did not give, you know, for instance, somebody like Shabazz Muhammad. Um, so Wood having some guaranteed money was, I think, interesting and spoke maybe to, of their belief that he had a real chance to make the roster when they signed him but they actually gave him uh, a second year that's also partially guaranteed beyond that so obviously if he's you know waived then it kind of is irrelevant but um if he actually makes the team and you know you hope that he turns into a you know maybe some type of useful player or at least a guy you'd want to keep around um you actually have him on, on basically you know, another minimum contract next year and only half of it so it's about a 1.65 million dollar contract uh, half of that uh, is becomes guaranteed right before the start of the season. So you'd have a fair bit of flexibility where you could carry him, you know, for instance, into uh, July and, you know, whatever, if there's some scenario where the Bucks can create cap space, they need to, you know, create an extra $1.6 million in space. They could waive him at that point if they wanted to. So again, probably getting ahead of myself as the uh, president of the Christian Wood fan club. Um, a little Big woodhead over there. Big woodhead over here. Um, but, uh, but uh, definitely an interesting thing because look, I mean, Again, that makes him a little bit more valuable an asset, not because we know he's definitely going to be a good player, but there's certainly a chance that he's a player worth a contract in the NBA. And if that's the case, if he's, you know, actually somehow like, you know, for instance, I'll say Ursan gets hurt and he becomes the backup power forward and looks pretty good. Well, you know, given his age and the fact that you've got him under control for not one, but two seasons, um, then that makes him certainly a more, a more useful piece. And again, I'm, not going to make the leap that oh the Bucks are not going to be able to trade Christian Wood for you know uh, some some other thing of value but um, you know hey optionality is good especially when uh, it's an option to uh, to keep a guy on a, on a cheap contract so just an interesting note um, just because I, I had previously just assumed that he was on a one year deal and you know if he was actually useful this year then you might lose him next summer but um, in fact the Bucks might uh, have actually caught, pulled a nice little move there getting him for uh, potentially two years so anyway that's your Christian Wood update of the day. <laughs> So we'll have to be careful here because, you know, obviously he could come back for a second year. Um, He could get signed or, you know, maybe he doesn't, which means Friday night could be your last chance to see Christian Wood in a Milwaukee Bucks jersey. And the best way to get tickets for that would be to go to Vivid Seats. If if you go to Vivid Seats, you're going to be able to check out where all the seats are because it's an online event ticket marketplace dedicated to providing fans of live entertainment with experiences that last a lifetime in Christian Wood's last game in a Bucks jersey, that would be quite an experience that certainly would last a lifetime. And Vivid Seats can help you find the best seats for that event or any other event. You know, again, this isn't Lockdown Brewers, but, you know, the Milwaukee Brewers are in the middle of a a serious postseason run. So maybe you want to find tickets to that as well. Vivid Seats offers great prices and an easy purchasing experience with the podcast code Locked On L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Listeners can receive a $20 off 
uh, it can receive $20 off orders of $200 or more if you're a first-time customer of Vivid Seats. So go to the App Store or Google Play and download the Vivid Seats app. Enter promo code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N to receive $20 off orders of $200 or more as a new customer of Vivid Seats. So a big shout out to Vivid Seats for hanging out with us and sticking around on the on the podcast and supporting us because we always do appreciate it. Now, let's hop into the larger topic of the day that that we're going to talk about and I guess this is something I was kind of thinking about today. I got a question in my mailbag for the Athletic Wisconsin that's going up today about, you know, the idea of starting both Brogdon and Bledsoe together. And that was just like another thing where you mentioned it last night. And I was like, man, we never really talked about it. And when I got that question, I was like, huh, yeah, I haven't really answered a question about this or, you know, spoke critically about it. I know I've thought about it quite a bit, but we haven't really ended up talking about it. So um, it kind of just happened. You know, the first game, it was blood, it was Bledsoe and Brogdon. And in camp leading up to the games, we had heard about how Bledsoe was getting used to running the wing sometimes and how Bledsoe and Brogdon were getting used to playing together. And now that now we see them together, I guess – are, are you okay with it, Frank? Like, is it something that it sounded like last night you would probably prefer for, for someone else to start in the spot of Malcolm Brogdon? Yeah. My general philosophy is just, you know, there's only so much of the basketball to go around. And so, I mean, really even going back to last year, I mean, this was the, the same question arose when Eric Bledsoe was acquired. Right. I mean, we, we talked about, um, you know, what does that mean for Malcolm Brogdon? He had just seemingly, you know, been cemented as the as the starting point guard going into camp after seizing that role um, during the latter half of his rookie year, um, and then Bledsoe gets acquired, and we thought, oh, does that mean Brogdon's now a six man, and is he not going to be thrilled about that? Um, I know we talked about, hey, maybe Bledsoe would have been ideally really optimal as a as a six man himself, but you know, I think politically that probably would have been, <laughs> would have been a tough sell. We don't need a, I don't want to be here tweet a second. I don't want to be here tweet um, coming right after the first <laughs> one. Um, so, but really my philosophy on it just kind of comes down to, um, you know, really you're talking about like a fifth guy, right? A, a fifth guy uh, offensively in particular. And um, that guy's probably just not going to touch the ball a whole lot. And so, especially last year in Jason Kidd's offense, you're really talking about a guy who's you know, whose, whose primary role is going to be more to, to spot up off the ball. And um, again, like when you, if you start a guy like Malcolm, you're going to try to find ways to get him the ball. Um, but, you know, in terms of like, what is the marginal benefit of having a guy like Malcolm in the starting lineup relative to on the bench? I just think it's lower. You know, I think it's sort of the, you know, one too many ditch diggers type thing um, <laughs> a little bit. And, sure. you know, I mean, we saw it with Tony Snell, right? That um, Snell is a very, very low usage guy, but you know, he, even last year in his disappointing year was a high efficiency shooter um, and effective three point shooter. And obviously defensively, I'd say he's, um, I don't know. I mean, would you say he's better than Brogdon as, as good? I think they're probably in the same ballpark of caliber defensively. I don't think, you know, either guy is like a slam dunk better than the other. So, um, so yeah, I, I just felt like it probably made more sense to go with sort of more of the role players, fifth starter, um, and given Snell, you know, shoots and especially last year, like floor spacing obviously was, you know, a, a major component of what, what we needed, especially with, um, you know, the fact that 
Thon Maker didn't shoot well when he was starting, and John Henson obviously doesn't you know doesn't space the floor. <laughs> At least maybe now he will, yeah. but certainly uh, in his, the majority of his NBA career, he's not been a floor spacer. So I, I just philosophically like the idea of a kind of fifth starter being like a role playing shooter type guy. Now you know again long term is that Tony Snell is that Sterling Brown, um, Pat Connaughton, uh, you know DJ. Uh, DJ Dante DiVincenzo. Um, probably uh, I, to, you were going to go in a direction there that I was not ready for. There, <laughs> DJ. I was like, whoa, okay. Yeah, yeah, we hope he's not Dante DJ Vincenzo um, or, or Dante DiVincenzo. Right, that would be the the ghost of first round picks past um, claiming another victim. But uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, somebody like that, right? Who can just more or less spot up off the ball and and shoot consistently has more of a track record of doing that versus Brogdon, who. Um, I mean, has shot the ball through well from three-point range, 40% than 30, 8% last year. Um, but as we also have bemoaned, you know, has that um, revolutionary war, uh, civil war, whatever war you want to pick, musket uh, release, which just doesn't tend to lead to really quick, quick shots. So that, that was really my philosophy. But, um, you know, we also saw in the data, like the Bucks starters were really good with Brogdon and Bledsoe playing together. They were plus 13 points per 100. So you know, that starting lineup worked really well. It was better than just the Bledsoe and Snell starting lineup, which I think especially late in the year, they had some, the, the team had some issues with that group. But, uh, but I don't know, just philosophically, I just kind of like the idea of like balancing out your lineups a little bit. And I think maybe one of the things we can talk about after I let you actually, after, after I take a breath here and let you actually give your thought. <laughs> um, I think there's just, we talked about a little bit last night, but I think that's, it's really interesting what starting Brogdon does for the rest of the rotation. Cause it does have a big kind of knock on effect for, both the wing rotation as well as the point guard rotation. And um, I think that's another piece of this that, that makes me also kind of feel like I'd rather probably start uh, an actual shooting guard rather than, you know, arguably, you know, your well, not arguably, I'd say definitely your second best point guard. I mean, I think it's really interesting from, from an optimization standpoint, and uh, hopefully I can help make some sense of this, but it feels like as, as you're kind of constructing a lineup or rotation, you're trying to think about, how I can make the people on the floor as successful as possible. And as I think through Tony Snell and what he's able to do, and I think about him playing with a bench heavy unit, it doesn't have to be all bench players. Obviously staggering exists and you can find a way to get other people on the floor. But you know, when I think of him with guys that, that can't really create, it's like, okay, I know this is an equal opportunity offense and the the goal is to move the ball and have player movement. And I think Tony Snell can do those things. But, you know, at some point, someone does have to beat somebody off the dribble. And that is kind of how all of those those really fun sequences that we see get started is someone makes a play and it's just like, okay, if Tony Snell plays at the bench, does he have to do that? Like, is is he the guy that kind of has to do that? And it's like, well, I don't know if I feel great about that. But Conversely, I do feel great that if he's the guy that's attacking uh, an out-of-control closeout because either Giannis or Chris or Eric have have made something happen, then okay, that works for Tony Snell. Like he doesn't really have to create. Like he's already uh, he's going to be attacking an already stressed defense. So I feel like that can be very helpful. And I, I don't know. I just kind of go back and forth on this and attempt to figure out like. Uh, how does this get the most out of Tony Snell? And then also like, how does this get the most out of, of Malcolm Brogdon? Is this a good idea for him? Because I do think he is a guy that, that could in some ways benefit from 
a bunch of other people being able to create and him having a little bit easier life, a little bit easier role out on the floor. Like I think he could be helped out by that as well, but also he does have some of those abilities that, you know, if he's going against a second unit, I think he can do just fine as a creator and in doing some of that. So I, I, I tend to agree that to me, it made a lot of sense for Tony Snell to be that guy, but I do want, I guess overall in my head, I think, okay, closing lineup. I'm totally fine with this as a closing lineup. Like when you're closing a game, you want as many threats on the floor as possible. You want to make all of your out of timeout plays really matter. You want to make them really difficult to cover. So if you have four or five guys on the floor that can all hit threes, that can all do something like you can all kind of create like that's, that'd be really good. Um, But as far as an opening lineup, like, do I necessarily have to put my best five guys on the floor to optimize the first five or six minutes of the game? Not necessarily. I could go in a different direction. So I think I, that, that to me is the thing I'm curious about is just, you know, does this optimize the players on the floor when they're on the floor? Like, does that, does it get the most out of them? And I, I'm not totally convinced that it does. Yeah. And I, I should clarify too. Like I, I would agree that, the closing lineup, you know, that should be your best five players unless they just really don't fit well at all, right? Um, yeah. So I think Brogdon is is definitely a guy I would I would think would be in that closing group, um, just because again, especially late in games, like when, when defenses really ratchet up pressure, uh, you know, having that guy like Brogdon rather than Snell who can actually, uh, you know, take the ball and and work the you know f- first off be another ball handler who can dribble the ball up under pressure um be a safety release valve we know he's a crafty guy who can get to the basket and you know improved a lot as a as a finisher last year in his second year so um so yeah i agree like i i also would say yeah brogdon's a closer um but is he a starter you know and for me it's 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 less about thinking that oh i want to optimize the starting group because you know as you said i mean the starting group last year with, with good. Was, was good yeah um but it's really more about like you know can you just maintain um a certain level of fire firepower uh off the off the uh, off the bench and um right now you look at you know who the bucks have coming off the bench um you know right and, and maybe this kind of dovetails with kind of what i was alluding to but just what this means for the rest of the rotation right i mean if uh if brogdon's coming off the bench right um your backup point guard is is not brogdon and you don't really ever need to even play Matthew Del really, right? Um, you can just roll Brogdon and, yep. and Bledsoe taking up all 48 minutes uh, on uh, in terms of the point guard position. Uh, and then, you know, let's say Bledsoe plays 30, 32 minutes total all at point guard. That means you get another 16 to 18 minutes of Brogdon at point guard. And then you get another yep. like 10, 12, 14 minutes, whatever, you know, up 28, 30 minutes total of Brogdon playing shooting guard, including, you know, closing the game with, with Bledsoe. So that works pretty tidily. And then, um, you know, you've got, like we said, I mean, you've got a fair number of shooting guards here, right? So the fact that you're starting Brogdon has a couple things, right? So for the point guards, it means that um, you actually like need to need to play your third point guard because, you know, there are going to be times when you, you're, you're, you know, maybe you don't have either Brogdon or, or Bledsoe in the game, um, or at least it's harder to stagger them so that one of them is always in the game. And so presumably that means that Matthew Delvadova, I guess, will will have to be playing most nights. And I could certainly see Delhi being more useful in this kind of new style the Bucks play. I think 
Um, you know, again, you, you think of the way, you know, the sort of more Spursy or at least old Spursy style. Um, I, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like it's more, more relevant to like, kind of like that international style of like ball movement type play. Um, yeah. you know, I think back to uh, maybe not the last Olympics, but the one before that where, you know, Delhi had some incredible games where he was just like throwing lobs all over the place and, you know, great <laughs> off ball movement, hitting cutters left and right. And, um, you know, it was probably against like Namibia or something like that. He was doing this, but, um, you know, still did uh, it. He's, he still did it. Right. And, he, and I think, you know, again, like an, an offense where guys are moving around and, um, you know, again, like not that you want the ball in Delhi's hands too much anyway, obviously that's, that's certainly something that you want to, um, make sure that you, you don't, you know, overstate his, his role in the offense, which, you know, certainly, especially his first year was, I think a big problem in Milwaukee. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it means Delhi would seem like he's definitely playing some minutes. Uh, and then, you know, again, with all these potential shooting guards wings, it, it would presumably mean, um, cutting into some of their time. Right. So, uh, if you're, you know, Tony Snell for sure. Right. Cause he's the guy who's likely you know, on paper losing his, his old starting job. Certainly Tony Snell's a loser if, if it's Malcolm Brogdon starting, but you know, also not great for, for Pat Connaughton, but actually not great for Sterling Brown. Um, you know, I think we talked about Dante DiVincenzo probably being relatively safer. Um, and, and obviously he's not coming off uh, a season where he played anyway, cause he was in college last year. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation that uh, again, I think, um, you know, the, th- the main thing I would say is it, it forces you to play a guy in Delhi who I, I'm not desperate to like manufacture minutes for necessarily. I think he can be better with Bud, but I, I still don't really need much Delhi in my life, I guess. And then uh, on the flip side, on the wing, I think it you know cuts out some some time to maybe see um, uh, you know some guys who are very legitimate floor spacers from being able to see more time on the court. Yeah, the, to me, that's the big thing, is I would like to see this in action in a regular season game. Because I've been thinking about, okay, you can start them and then you can stagger them, but like, I, I and again, maybe I'm too much of a simpleton, um, but it does feel like thinking about how you want to stagger Malcolm Brogdon and, and Eric Bledsoe is just like, an unnecessary problem you're giving to yourself. Like if you're trying to figure out, okay, how do I stagger them? But then you also in your mind know like, oh, I should probably stagger Giannis and Chris so that one of them is on the floor at the same time. Or maybe it's Giannis and Bledsoe or or whoever it is this year. Like you're also staggering them within like a different pattern. And to me, it just seems like you've, you were juggling three you're juggling three balls and then all of a sudden you just said, nah, let's throw two more in there and let's see if I can juggle these as well. And to me, it just, it feels like a, an unnecessary, and I don't want to say problem, but an unnecessarily, like an unnecessary puzzle you have to solve. Like you've, you're giving yourself something else there that you just didn't really, um, you didn't really need to do. So I, I don't know. It's, it's the weirdest thing. And again, maybe, you know, we'll get into the first regular season game. Malcolm Brogdon will come out at the eight minute mark and everything will just kind of make sense from there. Um, but also maybe it doesn't go like that and maybe it doesn't work out. Uh, I, I, to me, that's my biggest problem right now is I'm struggling to conceptualize it. And I mean, that's not, 
that that could just be because I'm stupid and like I, I like I don't like I'm not an NBA coach that can juggle all these things in my head. But like it, it is just going to be to me really interesting to watch to see how it's done because I, I don't I don't know how it'll be done. Yeah, it's a little interesting looking at some of the lineup data last year um, because you know I mentioned the starting group um, offensively the starting group with Bledsoe Brogdon. Uh, Middleton and Giannis averaged 116 points per 100 together offensively, which is obviously really good. They were, as I mentioned, plus 13 points per 100. Um, the weird thing, though, is if you look at the total number of minutes that um, that Brogdon and Bledsoe played together, um, which was 1,200 possessions, uh, about a third of the, a little more than a third of those were with that starting group. That was really good. But overall, the, the over the twelve hundred total possessions that Bledsoe and Brogdon played together, they were actually a minus two point six points per one hundred, which is kind of like shocking, right? Because it tells you that yeah. in those other seven hundred some possessions beyond the starting group, like Bledsoe and Brogdon were terrible, basically, right? Like basically, yeah. once you got out of the the starting um, the starting combination, they were really bad, and so um, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. And it, by the way, if you're curious, the um, Bledsoe, Brogdon, Middleton, Giannis, and Thon lineup, which was kind of like the alternate starting group, they were also very good. They weren't as, as quite as good offensively, but they were great defensively, plus 16 points per 100, 109.5 versus 93.3 defensive rating. Um, so kind of interesting that, you know, that the, there are some combinations, the, the kind of the two most common kind of starting combinations with, with Brogdon last year and Bledsoe were great. And then, you know, everything else was just a disaster, but that also kind of also seems to kind of summarize the Bucks in general, like their starting lineups generally were good. And then, you know, and the most common lineups were good. And then anytime, you know, it was Jason Kidd just, you know, pulling lineups out of his rear end, um, it was <laughs> not working at all. So, um, so yeah, it's interesting, but so I, I'll say this, though. I think the, the upside of this is, you know, and we talked about this uh, last week when we saw their first game with Brogdon um, and well, Bud's first game, I shouldn't say Brogdon's first game starting because it really was Bud's first game coaching, um, was, you know, this idea that having guys at every position that can do a little bit of, you know, dribbling, passing and shooting, um, you know, I, I think, again, like the, this offense, by, by virtue of the fact that it's not just, you know, parking your shooting guard in the corner and making him watch. Um, the upside of that is that if you have a guy like Brogdon, then, you know, he can do more than a guy like Tony Snell with his passing. Um, with the- that lineup could put it on yeah, some people. Yeah, exactly. like you could you could have like a like a thirty five point first quarter semi regularly. Like that could be a thing that you do, which it, which can be very helpful. Like uh, against a bad team like the Bulls, like that's just straight up demoralizing. Well, generally scoring more <laughs> points in the first quarter is good, right? So, um, so yeah. yeah, I mean, and I, I think that 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 would be. I think that's a really good point. Like. Um, I'm, I'm going to be very curious to see this generalize. I mean, you were, you were alluding to it, like what kind of rotations, you know, even just in the first quarter, like Bud sort of settles into. Um, I, I would notice a note too. I mean, you know, I, 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 a lot of times when we're kind of going into these circles where we're trying to figure out like, well, you know, we haven't seen Bud coach this team. So what's he going to do? Um, I do like to look back at, at kind of his time in Atlanta and just sort of figure out like, well, did, do we learn anything here? I mean, um, I mean, worth noting, like Dennis Schroeder was, was starting or was, sorry, was coming off the bench um while Jeff Teague was there um and you know again like that was mostly a situation where they were you know using them and and staggering them um and so it's not like you know that 
is in any way an indicator that he would want to start Malcolm Brogdon. It's kind of the opposite of that. Uh, and then, um, you know, even going further back, I mean, Budenholzer was in San Antonio while, you know, one of the greatest six men of all time, Manu Ginobili, was coming off the bench and, and providing a spark yep. that way. And certainly, um, you know, I, I mean, I hesitate to compare anybody to Manu and, and Brogdon isn't Manu. Um, but there's like some kind of like, there's maybe there's, a little bit of something there. in the sense that, yeah. that they're kind of, they have sort of like combo guardish size. Um, you know, Brogdon also is kind of like a, um, a little, maybe I'd say a little bit of a um, unorthodox kind of style um, yeah. gets to the basket finishes, uh, especially last year started to finish maybe better than, than you'd expect given he's not like kind of a, just a natural top shelf athlete. Um, and I don't think Manu also was ever like a high volume three point shooter, but was effective for the most part. So, um, so yeah, kind of an interesting, you know, interesting to kind of figure out like, well, what, what has Budenholzer seen and done and, you know, what might be impacting his view of, of how he'd want to balance these guys. Um, but the other thing too is, is like, it'd be kind of interesting to know, like, I mean, I, my guess is Malcolm Brogdon would rather start at shooting guard than come off the bench at the point. Um, and I'm, I imagine that might also have had something to do with this, but the irony is that I don't know if this really helps Malcolm Brogdon like get a big contract because like, I mean, I don't think it's going to like mean that he's going to play a lot more minutes necessarily. And his usage, his usage was pretty much flat, whether he was a starter or reserve. Like you look at his career usage numbers are basically identical as a starter or reserve. Um, so I, again, it's not like starting means that he's going to get more shots. If anything, he might get yeah. fewer shots, you know, from a usage standpoint. Um, so it's a little bit interesting because it's like, you know, turn him into a shooting. If he's like more of a shooting guard, cause he's starting there. Um, I don't know. Like it, to me that I don't know if that really is like great for Malcolm Brogdon's kind of like market value. Um, because again, like, you know, if you're like a, a true point guard, then I think you're probably more marketable than if you're more of a shooting guard. Um, and uh, you know, even if you're a starting shooting guard, so I don't know, it's just an interesting thing. And again, you want to put people in a position where they're comfortable and they're going to, you know, feel like they're in the best, best position to succeed. Hey, if Malcolm feels better and, happier at point guard, at shooting guard um i mean i think that should factor in right um because again as we've talked yeah. about it's not like it's not like some like horrendous terrible sacrifice to start in there right it's not like um <laughs> you know he's some terrible player that you're giving some some gift to um you know if anything we want to bring him off the bench because we think he's actually very good so uh so i don't know it's it's definitely interesting we'll see you know it will see if it changes right or if the bucks just come out and score like gangbusters to start the season, then I imagine we'll, we'll continue to see it for, for a while. I think it's just, this is such an interesting year to me because we, we can think we know some things and then we don't know anything. And then we get to the, we get the preseason and I feel like over the last couple of weeks, it's been like, Oh, so that's what this is going to look like. And, Oh, this is what the Bucks are going to do here, and oh, defensively they're going to do this, and offensively this is what it looks like in practice. And then I feel like opening night's going to happen, and everything isn't going to change, but we're going to go through it again, right? Like we're going to go through like, oh, okay, so this is how Mike Boonholzer wants to stagger Bledsoe and Brogdon. This is how he's going to make sure that you know Chris and Giannis only play 33 minutes but also one of them is always on the floor like we're gonna learn all of this stuff kind of as we go and I don't know like I just think it's gonna be super interesting every single night like I think we'll do 
podcast after the game and just be like, huh, weren't expecting that. Or, you know, okay, maybe that's exactly what we were expecting and that's how it happened. Like, I, I just think we're going to have these these sort of realizations every night. I think it's going to be really fun. So, uh, uh, one, and Just one thing I'd add. So um, just to put some kind of numbers around this, last year Malcolm played uh, via cleaning the glass 54% of his minutes at point guard, 45% at shooting guard. Um, really kind of equally medi- mediocre at both in terms of like team results. They were minus 2.4 points per 100 worse with him um at point guard minus 2.6 with him at shooting guard so you know really no kind of clear trend there um they were a little better offensively than uh, with him at point guard than shooting guard a little worse off defensively so it kind of just balanced out a bit uh so no kind of obvious trend there um i will say in his rookie year he played the vast majority of his minutes at point guard 87 percent of the time uh and was clearly better uh at point guard um, as a rookie, uh, plus 4.1 uh, versus in the uh, 13% of his minutes uh, at shooting guard, they were a minus 10. So, um, you know, again, I, I, I'm again, even though I am a pro Malcolm as a point guard guy, I'm, I'm not going to act like the shooting guard numbers as a rookie <laughs> in a tiny sample really tell us all that much. Um, but I do think, you know, the fact that they were successful in that point guard um, at least a couple years ago does speak to the fact that, yeah, he can play that role and, you know, potentially be good at that uh, off the bench, especially because, you know, look, like you're going to stagger lineups. It's not like you're going to have him out there with, you know, nobody who's who's good, right? It's not like Giannis, Chris, and Bledsoe are all going to be on the bench at the same time. Um, You know, if anything, you're probably going to have a lot of times where uh, even with him coming off the bench, you'd see uh, him out there with with Giannis and Chris, um, but certainly at least one of those two guys. So, you know, again, you're not acting acting like he's going to have to be you know, carrying the load offensively or something like that. He's still, you know, going to be at best the the second banana in those those bench units. But um, again, uh, season's almost here. We'll we'll start learning a lot more. Certainly next week when the games count for real, we'll see on Friday. Um, you know, if if we learn maybe a little bit more, but certainly uh, with all those starters, uh, other than Malcolm getting a rest day on Tuesday, you'd guess that we'll see that that starting group again together on Friday. And again. Fingers crossed that they continue to, to kill it in the way they did in those first two games. And the good news is they'll be playing, uh, they have the Timberwolves, right? And the, the Timberwolves are something right now. Oh, um, man. What do, do we want to talk just briefly about this this Jimmy Butler story? I mean, that's, it's wild. Um, I, I feel so. I feel like when the Jimmy Butler stuff first came up, I kind of mentioned, you know, the idea that. People are like, oh, should the Bucks trade for him? Should they not? And I just said, like, you know, if you do trade for him, you, you do have to realize that he's going to think he's the best player on the team and he's going to make sure that he he shows everyone that, even though I think Giannis is pretty clearly better than him, um, he's going to try to show that. And, I mean, I cannot imagine staging something like this. And I shouldn't say it's stage. Maybe it's purely happenstance that the day that Rachel Nichols happened to be in town to interview Jimmy Butler, that he happened to show up to practice and he happened to curse out the entire organization. And he happened to make a show of grabbing the third stringers and embarrassing the starters. And he happened to challenge all these guys. And then it just so happened that he had a chance to talk about all of it on ESPN. That all could have been purely happenstance it could have you know it just just pure coincidence you never know it could have happened 
or it could have been the most, I don't even know, manipulative uh, show, shenanigans, whatever you want to call it. Like I, I, I honestly cannot believe that that is what happened today. Yeah. The, also, just the, the way that Woj reported it was pretty bizarre, don't you think? Yes. Like, like, like the it was like weirdly like gushing about a tour de force. What? Like, like uh, it was like gushing in a way that like this is this is like I don't know. I feel like everybody should have been embarrassed by the way by the way yeah. that like seemingly went again. Not, not that not that uh, either of us was was in the building. So you know, and and obviously n- nobody was other than really the folks of the team. Um, so there's a lot of you know kind of spin coming out of uh what it sure got out quick though that's so weird i don't know how it would have got out that quick. yeah and and here yeah and just in case people missed it here um uh this this is here's here's a direct quote from adrian wojnarowski at one point in a scrimmage sources said butler turned to gm scott laden and screamed <laughs> quote you effing need me you can't win without me end quote butler left teammates and coaches largely speechless he dominated the gym in every way Jimmy's back. What? What a weird. What the last? Like, <laughs> the last. He dominated the gym and every. Jimmy's back. Like what? Like what a weird. Uh, and then the other one. A lot of Minnesota players left Timberwolves practice day energized by Butler's performance, mesmerized with him taking end of the bench players and running the table on the regular. Sources said, at the end, he marched out like if a mic drop. Butler delivered a tour de force. <laughs> like what a strange like. <laughs> I mean that that is like so has to come from Jimmy's camp um, that like you know I don't know let's just say Woj probably is the the folks in Minnesota are probably not going to be thrilled to leak him anything anytime soon after after that so uh, yeah that's just bizarre and and certainly none of that um, makes me any more interested in Jimmy Butler um, because I, I the the thing that that like really like if Jimmy Butler was like twenty five years old then I think it's it's so much easier to make the argument like well roll, roll the, the dice, dice. let's you know, go like he's better you know he he is a more talented player he is a more talented player than chris middleton right i mean there's i think that's pretty controvertible yeah. in a vacuum he's a better player than chris middleton um you know you, you, if you need you know if you want to add star level talent not a lot of them become available and this guy is um but he's not 25 years old and he's 29 years old and he's going to be a free agent next year and he's going to want a five-year $190 million contract. And that contract's going to become a horrible contract in within two years of him signing it. I, you know, I don't know. Right. And I mean, that's not that, even factoring in the Tibbs curve. Like yeah, Tibbs ran him into the ground. Maybe it's this year. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he's been injured. Um, he's missed a decent chunk of time. Like he's missed at least 15 games, like the last three or four years straight. So um, yeah, it's a, uh, it, it's a, I mean, that's, that's, that's your team. Like, if you if you give him that contract, um, you know it's kind of like the Blake Griffin situation. Like, oh, yeah. you can actually trade him for anything of value. You probably feel like you got out of jail if things kind of go sideways. Uh, and you know, again, like I would not. I mean, I think Giannis is a competitor. Obviously, like I'm not worried about Jimmy viewing Giannis like Carl Towns or Andrew Wiggins, who are both, you know, Towns doesn't like to play defense, is like just likes to play video games, is terrifically talented, <laughs> but you know. I get it. I get a little bit why Jimmy Butler wouldn't be thrilled with him. And Wiggins obviously is just, you know, not very the, good. The, the, the tin man. Yeah. Um, so I, I think certainly 
I'm, I'm less worried about Jimmy not respecting Giannis. I'm more just like, I mean, is Giannis going to want to play with this dude? Like, he's he's definitely a ball stopper. He's not a bud-type offense guy. Um, I don't know. Like, it's like you love Jimmy, but, like, I don't know if you love the I don't know if you love everything that comes with Jimmy. Let's say that. Um, and by the way, I find him like very entertaining. <laughs> you know, like he's a very he's got great, great gifts, like great facial expressions. Um, but uh, but yeah, there's just a lot that comes with Jimmy Butler, and a big part of that, especially as you think forward, is like you know, if you don't if you don't if you don't think you can compete with a title in the next like year or two with him, you're not competing for a title with him because he's going to be an albatross on your cap, like, you know, a couple of years from now. So if anything, you could be arguing like, well, you know, especially with the way that like Boston and, and golden state with their cores, um, you know, cause, cause keep in mind in Boston, I mean, Al Horford is probably, you know, not going to get better from here on out. Um, Kyrie is, is certainly in the middle of his prime. Um, you know, again, they've got younger guys who are going to, you know, continue to get better, but they're going to have to get paid. Um, I don't know if the window realistically for teams outside Boston and Golden State is, is these next couple of years. So it's kind of a weird situation, right? Like you optimize for basically like a very short term um, while potentially, you know, making Giannis, like potentially pissing Giannis off if Jimmy annoys Giannis and, you know, makes tries to make Giannis a second fiddle or something like that. That Matt's playing with fire, you know? I mean, and, and again, it's like, how do you, t- when do you take your shots, right? I just, I think we both agree, like, man, it's... Yep. Jimmy's a tough guy to take your shot on as, as talented as he is. It's there's just a lot of risk with that. Yeah. I mean, like as you're thinking through shots that you'd want to take, uh, in potential shots, like, all right, would I have rather traded for Kyrie Irving or Jimmy Butler? Hmm. I think Jimmy Butler is a better basketball player, but I don't know if you have all of the, the strange things that go along with Jimmy Butler uh, with Kyrie Irving, like there's some of that as well. And I mean, it makes sense that they're boys. So it's like, okay, maybe, maybe Kyrie wasn't the perfect shot either, but maybe you could have had Kyrie a little bit cheap. I'm not really sure. And then you think like Kawhi Leonard, was that the shot? And it's like, well, we haven't seen Kawhi play in 18 months. Um, So maybe that isn't either. And you know, like it, there is all there's no matter what, like if you are training for a player of this caliber uh, of the ilk of the, the kind of guys that we just talked about, like there's going to be risk because you're going to have to give up something to get them. But you know, like the, the thing you always have to be thinking about too is okay. If this doesn't work. Giannis is gone too. I don't, I don't even think it's, it's a question. Like if you piss off Giannis because you bring in the wrong guy, you take the wrong shot, like he's gone. And I think, I think that means you gotta be, uh, you gotta be pretty sure of the, of the move that you're making, which makes all of this very difficult. And yeah, I, I just don't, uh, as I've said all along, I don't trust that Jimmy Butler would come in here and be like, yep, Giannis is the best player on the team. This is Giannis's team. I just don't think he's wired that way. And ultimately that, that may be to his detriment as an NBA player, because he's never going to be quite good enough to be the number one that can lead a a team to a championship. And he's never going to be okay being a number two um, and being in that situation where he would, you know, have to be someone's, someone's Pippen. Like, and that would be a great role for him. He'd be really good at it, but it doesn't seem like, that's just kind of a style of play or a personality that he has. So um, I don't know. It's very interesting. And 
you know, the NBA, it always keeps you on your toes. So um, unless you have anything else to add, I think that's going to be it for us for today on Lockdown Bucks. I'm Eric. That's Frank. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you tomorrow.